Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. And once again, I'm with my faithful co-host, Dave Hampton. And we call you what? Robo Recruiter. Robo Recruiter, because when it comes to recruiting, you're relentless. And uh, yeah, this is the Bit About Crypto podcast. And the, uh, the tenant of this uh, show is to bring people on who can talk about how they got into crypto and uh, how they see it changing the world and the job market. And, uh, you know, that's what we do. We get people jobs, right? Blockchain jobs, right? That's right. You want to talk about jobs early? Want to get out of the way? Uh, whatever you like. You're the I, host. I, okay, thank you. Thank you for you finally recognizing that. I've always recognized it. Yeah, um, Yeah. Uh, so as far as what I have, is I, I actually have two blockchain engineer positions, and they're both remote. And, that, and that, that's really all I'm working on right now. So okay. what about you? Uh, I got a head of blockchain, uh, and I have a uh, DeFi crypto portfolio manager. All right, and that, and that is brought to you by our host, blockchainrecruiters.net. That's us. So we're just going to get that out of the way early. So if you're looking for a job in crypto, right, you can reach out to me at the BTC Recruiter on Twitter, or you can actually email me, uh, David J at blockchainrecruiters.net. So getting into it and talking about it, uh, there are a lot of good things happening in the crypto space. And, you know, the funny thing about it, I think I told you this, Dave, you know, three, four years ago, not people weren't talking as popular about Bitcoin or crypto. I mean, four years ago, no one was really talking about anything except Bitcoin. Then Ethereum came. And now we talk about all these other types of crypto projects because <clears throat> it's, uh, it's sprouting up like a Chia pet. And it's, it's really funny. I, re, I was thinking about who I actually would speak to as far as cryptocurrency is concerned. I'd be in the grocery store or I'd, like, I'd be in the golf shop or wherever I was or mm -hmm. like at the BMW dealership. And I'd say, hey, man, you got any Bitcoin? I just, I just would. It's like, what? What's that? <clears throat> uh, I said, well, I thought you could tell me and I'll move on my business, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes the conversation. And then I started, I started like stereotyping as far as the types of people that I think would get, would be into crypto. And uh, <clears throat> I was thinking that, hey, if you're under 30, you probably have Bitcoin, you know about it. And that wasn't necessarily the truth either, right? And, you know, you and me being recruiters, right, we're, we're sizing people up. We're all, always asking them, what do they do? What else do we ask them? Why do they do it? Yeah, that's right. And what are you into? So it's funny, our next guest, and I... He and I uh, have spoken in great detail. And one of the things that he doesn't know and that I didn't know about him is he has a past as a dog trainer. And, and you know, you, I didn't know you back when I had my pit bull, Bailey, right? But I, I literally, I sent her to training and I, I used to have that, that dog went everywhere with me. And mm -hmm. I, the best part of having that dog was being able to like send her for, as they call it, protection. And, yeah. and, and if you could act, if you have a pit bull that you can actually just get to growl on the leash, that that's enough. Most people, even if they're armed or not, they won't need to do that. But, you know, that's a big digression. But about about Cam, Cameron Strom, our guest, it's interesting because, you know, he found Bitcoin his own way. And he's going to talk about that. <clears throat> but he also he, he fell in love with it. But it's interesting, you know, once again, being a recruiter, we always what do we do when we hear about people? We look at what? Their profiles. That's right. Their right profiles. away. Yeah, and the, and the thing about uh, Cam is he went to a, a college, not a university. We we're talking about that. The difference between a college and a university is? 
Doctoral programs or non-doctoral yeah, programs. Yeah, right. So he went to uh, Gustavus Adolphus College, <clears throat> and he's got a bachelor's degree in classics and economics. And that, that, that fits and makes such sense to me that he's found his way into Bitcoin and to sound money, right? And uh, <clears throat> he started as a human resources intern with a censure, so I'm glad he, uh, he didn't get bit by that. Because, as you and I both know, the human resources department is what? A <laughs> uh, place you go to die. Where resumes go to dial. The smile and file department. That's yeah, right. That's right. <clears throat> right? But then... The uh, antithesis <clears throat> of recruiting. Right. But, you know, then he, uh, he was trying to figure out what he wanted to be. And he became... Yeah, he started his own landscaping business. Right? But he probably realized that that's hard work. Hard physical work. Right? I'm guessing we talk about that. Right, and then I he noticed w- that, yeah, Land- he had landscaping until uh, '07, right? right? And I'm thinking to myself, all right, that must have been right when the crisis, you know, the recession happened. Yeah, man. So he's like, oh, I'm not getting much work because everything's in crisis mode. We're right gonna now. talk to him about it, but yeah. I bet you, I, this guy, he's so put together and so polished. I bet you, he said, you know something, I'm smarter than this. I can make more. I can do more. I can spend more time with my family. Yeah, right, and figure out a way not to be. Uh, uh, humbled by another recession per se right and of course you know he was an asset marketing services uh i'm sorry he was a sales account manager with asset marketing services right and he sold investable and collectible coins right which is going to bring us into the nft space i don't know that's the conversation we're going to have today but when i look at this dude's resume i go yeah and then he worked he worked for uh, oracle for like uh seven years and uh, and now found his way into sales, right? He was doing he was yeah, selling. Yeah, pe- people who actually—it's not even about selling, right? It's about if you believe in solving. something. If you believe in something so to your core, naturally you just start enrolling people in that idea. Right. Uh, people have said to me, "Hey, you're a great salesperson." It's like, no, not really. Yeah. No, I know. I, that's the same thing for me. Yeah, I'm not a great salesperson. I'm not, I'm not selling anything. If, if I had to sell like shoes. Right, like our, time, our time shares. I'm going to tell you, I'd be the next shooter on the news. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't blame if you, man. If there's ten it's people a, in there, soulless, uh, I need eleven bullets, yeah. and we're all gone. I'm just telling you, there's just no way. I mean, when someone says to me I'm in the timeshare business, it's like, oh my, oh my. Oh, I know. God. I don't know what you did in your past life. My experience with timeshare says, oh, yeah, man. Anyhow, you know, th- I'm starting to get bored with my, our conversations about this. Let's go to something interesting. So, with no further ado, I'd like to bring on our guest. Cameron Strong. David, David, thanks for having me on. Yeah, Appreciate it. You're you got, welcome. You're going to be able to live up to all that hype I gave you. Oh, and more. I'm going to just absolutely. Uh, Hold on. I mean, with that, with that hair, why not, right? Let me write, let me write, let me write something down. Your recruiters are always taking notes. Lack self-esteem, maybe a bit shy. All right, go now, on. People ask if I'm from California all the time because of the hair. Blonde hair. Deep yeah. insult. You know, I'm from flyover country. I'm from Minnesota. Now I'm in Texas. Um, yeah, but California's cool. I got that a lot in uh, in New York when I had long hair. Yeah, I believe so. it. You got that surfer hair, Camel Reef style. That's right. So, um, well, have you ever been to California? Uh, not a whole bunch. I went to that uh, you know dilapidated city, San Francisco, a few years ago for Oracle. Uh, I've been to San Diego. That area is absolutely gorgeous, one of the most beautiful places on the earth. So, if it wasn't for the sixty percent, you know, overall authoritarian tax rate, I you know, I consider being there. Yeah, <laughs> they call it a sunshine tax. And I'm convinced that Southern California is the best weather on planet Earth. It just is. Yeah. 
It just yeah, it, no, it absolutely, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So and, and it also has a profound effect on people's emotion, which is a big digression. So Cam, let's talk about your favorite person. Who would that be? Well, David James, obviously. Well, okay, so good, <laughs> good. And now if we could get the rest, of the other seven billion to fall in line, then I, I, I could maybe like you know rate, rate, raise money for the scouts. No, so Cam, let's just talk about you and how you raised up the kind of family sports, what you did. Sure. Oh, it's funny when you're thinking favorite person. I thought you're gonna. Yeah, I was thinking Satoshi Nakamoto. We can get into that in a little bit. But it's funny as you're going through kind of uh, the resume as you see it. I've had one of the most nonlinear career paths. Yeah. Seen, right. Like it just makes no sense. But it's really been an attempt for me to do something that I care about. Um, you know, to to figure out what are my skills. You know, kind of that idea of ikigai. If you've heard of that. Um, you know, kind of that I, that combination of what does the world need? What are you good at? What can you get paid for? And right. what do you care about? What's your passion? Right. Yeah. If you can find all four of those, so different jobs, like most people have had different parts of those. Um, and I've been willing to make a lot of strange moves to try to do something that I care about over something that I can just make a lot of money at. The beautiful thing I want to get to is like, I, I'm in Bitcoin. I have the opportunity to fulfill all four of those things. Something I care about, something I can make a lot of money at, but more importantly, something that is helping the world and something that, um, I mean, that, that sounds trite. No, it, it's, it's, that, uh, it's well it, said. It's, it's well said. That's exactly what I said to myself when I asked myself, a, you know, when, when I got back from Afghanistan, I asked myself, what am I good at? What do I really like to do? And how can I make a lot of money at it? Right. It, and yep. I found recruiting and it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. I, I, I can relate to you in terms of what you're doing. So. And uh, I like what you guys said too about you don't feel like you're in sales, you're building relationships. That's what I find too, where I'm not going out giving people the hard sell on Bitcoin. For, like for one thing, Bitcoin is, and it just makes a lot of sense, right? When if you can have a long enough conversation with people, they'll get it. It, it doesn't take a hard sell to to um, help them to understand it. But really, what I do is build relationships, like. David, like think of many fun conversations we've had. So yeah. that's what I like to do: build a relationship, um, help them to understand why I'm so passionate about something, and help to provide a framework for how I think about it, and then help that person to come to whatever conclusion makes sense for them. Yeah, and I, you know, since since the genesis of this podcast was how do we help people get jobs in blockchain, right? Or how do we at least create awareness to that? And look. I don't have to be the person or David my, myself to, as a team. We don't have to be the people that get you the job and get a fee for it. We just want to help you get a job, period, because we're passionate about that thing. And me specifically, I wanted to work uh, as as a young kid, poor kid. It's like, you know, my 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 labor was my wage, which I, and then I would take. And so one of the things I found myself doing, which really made me successful as a recruiter, is I would have them, the person I'm speaking to on the phone, convince me on why the job was great. And if I didn't like you on the other end of the line, and I didn't think this would be an exciting job for me to do, if I had had right. that skill, I wouldn't recruit on it. So then when I'm picking up the phone and I'm speaking on it, it's it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be... Uh, any type of derogatory, but I, I learned that what these Mormons do, when they go on their missionary, right, they dig a hole and they fill it with water and they bless the water, all right? Now they've got this hole dug and they've got this water blessed. Now they got to go out and find people that they can dump in the water so they can become the Mormon because they're that committed to that thing that they believe in, right? Now, I mean, I, that's, just, uh, that's just not my brand of cigarette, if you will. 
right? Mm-hmm. But when you come to the, the brand, and I don't smoke, but, but but what I'm saying is when you find a thing that you believe in that's your brand, it's everybody will know at you, right? And I, I feel there are a lot of guys that feel that way about Amway, and I try to avoid them in the parking lot by about 300 yards. However, but I understand they believe. Anyhow, I digress. But anyhow, so go on to what you were saying. Oh, just in terms of building relationships or... Well, I mean, whatever. I just, I, I, I guess, you know, um, well, let's talk about your relationship with money. And this is a very interesting thing, right? I, I've spoken to very, very rich people that really don't care about money because it's the, the emotional, the, the way that that need is parented for them. It's like, the, I've never had to worry about money, right? And, mm. then, and there are some poor people that were raised very, very poor. And I find that that it enslaves them, right? Because right. the... It, 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 it's, it's the quality of their life is burdened because they're always keeping money. And I understand that. Then there are people in the middle class. And I know for myself, I've had to reparent my ideas about money as I've gotten more successful, right? And I mean, there's, there's a whole law of circulation, right? And, and I'm going to stop about this. This is what I like about cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike any other industry in the history of the world, there's nothing that has more abundance. When I used to recruit, everybody says, I want to work at Disney. I want to work at Disney. I want to work at Disney. Okay. So what did I need to do? I wanted to like get the opening where everybody wanted, right? But the people will say, well, we don't have right. it in the budget. I said, you guys make a billion dollars a month. You don't have it in the budget to pay an auditor another $8,000, right? But there's that whole budgetary thing. And, you know, <clears throat> Fortune 500 companies or any business for that matter is very bottom line centric, right? We spend less, we make more, and then that's how the equity or the profit is made. But when it comes to cryptocurrency, right, there's enough for everybody. There truly is, right? It's not one of those things where I'm going to get the last of it. I mean, I mean, we could argue this on a whole other way that if you don't have enough Bitcoin, you're going to be left out. But I, that's, that, that's for my show three years from now when more people understand it. So what I'm really trying to ask, and once again, as gifted as I am at making a short story very long, I just did that. Tell me about your relationship growing up as it relates to money. Sure. So the, the landscaping bit you keyed in on, uh, I was always willing to work hard for money. So that's something I did just as a summer job or you know, throughout high school and even through college a little bit. So it wasn't anything I did uh, after school. But I mean, that gave me an appreciation for just how hard it is to work money where I'm pulling weeds, mowing lawns, you know, ripping out thorny bushes, doing all those kind of hard aspects of physical labor. And then uh, at the end of the day, yeah, okay, I get a paycheck, get a, a wad of cash. Um, but then you're able to start assessing, okay, how far does this go versus this thing that I want? So, you know, right away, you know, the, the whole importance of the dollar thing, I got that. Um, but then once I got into a career too, you know, I quickly realized how little, uh, I cared about that in terms of, in contrast to how I was spending my time. Um, so what, what I heard you say is you, you, how little you cared about the money as opposed to the activity of which you were actually embracing to make said money. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? That's right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and so are you a poor kid, rich kid, middle-class family? Talk to me about, oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Did you have braces? I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's some people that yeah. they can't. Yeah. So I grew up in outside of a small town of a thousand people in central Minnesota. So a farming community. My mom stayed home and took care of myself and two younger brothers. And my dad was a high school English teacher. So we grew up, we had everything we needed, but high school English teacher, uh, that's what he had devoted his life to. And 
help so many people that way. But we didn't have, it's not like we had a ton of money, but had everything we wanted, you know, play outside with our friends, had a, a wooded acre that we got to run through the woods every day and grow up just like a young kid should, you know, shooting BB guns and jumping in the lake, doing all those sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, it was, you know, solid middle-class background. They worked hard, they saved. So already they, I was fortunate to have them where they lived within their means and, and of course still do. So I had that, that guiding principle of work hard, save your money. And then, you know, that's, that's a foundation for building a life. But what we'll probably get into too, as we talked about Bitcoin is the sad part is that that version of the American dream is less and less attainable where you can just work hard at a good job, save your money and then retire or, or at least have a respect. Hold on a second. Hold on. Since I know you, I, I, you know, you go to that and you talk about that with your audience all the time. But what I'm not hearing is when did that become a reality for you? Right. And it, and it probably became a reality uh, consciously or subconsciously before you met Bitcoin. I'm guessing. Yeah. It was my first job out of college where it was, it was a tech startup in Minneapolis. Um, what they did, they provided value to society, but the job couldn't have been more boring. It was in tech support. I was reading lines of code, helping our client, our institutional clients, you know, figure out the issues. So it, it wasn't, it didn't pay that well. And it was just a, something I couldn't care less about. And this, I graduated in 2009. So there weren't that many jobs, right? Like the worst time to graduate. Yep. So I realized like, wow, I'm gonna have to work hard at this job. I don't care about to make not that much money. And you know, you've got college debt. He's kind of, I call it a quarter life crisis where you realize it's going to be a long slog to the American dream. I have to figure out a way to get there faster and a way that I enjoy. So that's when I, I invest a little bit in stocks in high school and college or, you know, more so college, but I think, okay, I'm going to need to something that is going to scale my time and my efforts because certainly working a job and just saving that typical paradigm is not going to get me to where I want to be. Yeah. Saving what? Saving what? Saving what? Saving US dollars. Yeah. Saving and, and, and what do we call it? What do we call it? The dirty fiat. The dirty fiat. Yeah. <laughs> filth. Yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly filth. I mean, you can buy Bitcoin with it. So yeah. anyhow, all right. So that so so thanks for being so forthright and really vulnerable. Um, so how did crypto find you? Yeah. So it was, you know, I don't exactly remember what the first touch points were, but really when I started paying attention was. 2017 and that run up to $20,000 from about, you know, 1,000. Yeah. Um, it was my friends and I at Oracle. And when I think back to it now, I think of that movie Zoolander where <laughs> they're, they're jumping around like the monkeys, like the files are in the computer and we're looking at this thing like Coinbase, Bittrex, what is this? I mean, just had no idea. And uh, it was taking like three weeks to get a Coinbase account because the price is running up, but really just, we just helped each other to learn. And, um, when, you know, one of my best friends from Oracle at that time, he's part of the Minneapolis Bitcoin meetup. Um, still great friends to this day, and we're still helping each other to learn about it. But that was really the start is, like most people, you have a few touches, price brings you in, and then you go down the rabbit hole. But even after that, it wasn't immediately did I get it or immediately was I hooked. Um, you know, the price started to drop. My wife and I had our second child. So I don't know really what happened, but I was probably a combination of those two things and not getting sleep. So it wasn't really until the beginning of 2019 when uh, I was actually coming back from Chicago with a friend 
And we're going back and forth. He's super into tech. So I'm trying to think of, you know, what can I pull out of his brain? You know, he, there's so much going on inside his head in terms of tech all day. What, what can I learn from him? And then I'm just kind of thinking to myself, Hey, Brandon, what's going on with Bitcoin these days? You know, it, it's not dead. We would have heard about it if it died. How is it not dead yet if it's not? And so then just kind of when I got home, then it was, okay, I just had to figure out how could this thing die? Or if it's not dead, why is it alive? And uh, I've been obsessed with it since. So do you feel comfortable talking about maybe the first time you, you ever purchased Bitcoin or a crypto? I mean, I know you're a Bitcoin maximalist. Sure. Right? And, and like I said, about this show, and I'm speaking to the audience and anybody who'll ever listen, yeah, we, we are agnostic in, in the way we're apolitical, <clears throat> except as it relates to being very pro-crypto. Right. And if you actually have a crypto of choice, right, cigar of choice, drink of choice, drug of choice, you know, you you get to actually come on and and put a platform forward. So I just I want to say that the reason we call it bit about crypto and not bit about Bitcoin is because the Bitcoin is one of many cryptos. And it's important for understanding. You need to understand all ideologies and how they're flawed and possibly not flawed. And so with that having been said, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is 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 what happened the moment the lights went on for you about Bitcoin. Was that in 2019? Was it was it 2017? Your buddy from Oracle said, "Yeah, okay," and you went like, "Yeah, whatever." Because oh, let me digress. I, I've got a friend, and I'm going to give him a shout out right now, Captain Josh Hill, right, military attorney in uh, Mississippi, and you know he's got four kids, and I think he's about your age, and he's just he feels like he's too late. He's too late with what the price is of Bitcoin. And then he's, he sent me, and I was talking to him about in May of 2021, right? And when, when the price was about 30. And recently he sent me a text. He goes, I wish I'd have bought it at 30. Because I said, just buy $25 a week. And people don't understand buying just $25 a week of Bitcoin and how that can absolutely change their life, right? It's like the best idea. Plant a tree 10 years ago. Second best idea. Plant one today. Right. And, and because they think, well, $25, that's going to get me nothing. No, $25 worth of uh, GLD ETF from like your Charles Schwab account is going to get you nothing. Right. right. But this Bitcoin thing. So I know I know I've, the enthusiasm got the best of me. So I yeah, said, I, said two things. So can you talk to me? Talk to me about whatever you want. Sure. So in 2017, I bought some Bitcoin and then I bought other two other coins. I don't even know if they're still around today. But I went through that process that everyone goes through. How do you value these new things? You know, scarcity has got to be a part of it. What is it going to be used for? Going through all those use cases. And then those sat on, you know, Binance account for a couple of years until I found my username and password back and that logged in in 2019. Like, wow, they're still here. Awesome. Uh, I sold the other two uh, just really after a couple of weeks as I started to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And then... Now I'm Bitcoin only. I don't even own any stocks. Um, and, and so it's a really, you know, kind of interesting tension where you, uh, people who are Bitcoin only maybe get derided as not being open-minded. The, my view would be more that we are open-minded and the logical conclusion we've come to is that Bitcoin is the, the only money that will be used going forward. And it's not even a matter of uh, looking at so much of the characteristics characteristics of Bitcoin as to why that will happen, but more about what is the nature of money and how does money function? And the when money is allowed to compete in a free market, it, it's naturally a winner-take-all game. It's a, yeah, it provides correct. the most utility to all people when 
you can use the same form of money because but you know what we see today that well someone could say well look there's 200 countries there's about 200 currencies every, every country has their own currency those are artificially you know kept constrained in their own countries but you look at international trade and 80% of international trade is conducted in the US dollar that that's the easiest way for countries to transact yeah but people don't trade. realize this is important what people don't realize is is that we literally in when we actually prevailed in World War II, right? We were allies with Russia, right? And of course, you know, the rest of the world. And what we got done was, okay, we'll divide the, the physical geography of the territories this way. As long as the uh, US dollar is the world reserve currency. So right. we, we are 5% of the population as, as homo sapiens that live on earth, right? But we, our currency, dominates 88% of the world exchange, right? And right. specifically, they and people don't understand this, is it was agreed that all oil settlements would be in dollars. So if you're in China and you're using your, your yen, right? And uh, you're, you're actually going to sell to Russia and they're using their rubles. What happens is you got you can't go from Russia to rubles. you got to go from yen to dollars, rubles to, to dollars. And that's how we've kept our currency relevant. And that's how right. why 50, 50 years ago when Richard Nixon right, took us off the gold standard, that's how he said, hell, there, there's no way we can support the war. Now, just based on the good faith of the U.S. government, we print all this money. But now that's coming to an end with the, with the overzealous money printing. And... I mean, the problem with having you as a guest, uh, Cam, is we could go so many directions and so many <laughs> rabbit holes. And I, th I think it's going to be bad for, for our listeners because I don't want to confuse them. But I do want to I, 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 I see where we are in the show. <clears throat> so I want to get to I want to I want you to talk as best you can, dumbing it down centralization versus decentralization and how that relates to Bitcoin, because then we're going to that's going to get us to the next part of the show of like who you work for and what you do now. Mm, sure. So I think for virtually any aspect of society, it, if the free market approach is the best one. Um, Hayek's got this great article, Frederick Hayek, the uh, use of knowledge in society, which basically just breaks down why is it that central command inevitably fails? Like why, why, why is it better to have the market forces, uh, all these individual actors, they're, there, um, and he specifically relates it to prices. So I guess this is just one example, but a price of anything is such a highly condensed form of information. It, it combines all the activities of everybody participating, <coughs> interacting with that thing. And there's no other way that that price could be, uh, that they could come to that price. Like you, the Russia example, at one time they said, okay, Russia is gonna charge, uh, everyone in Russia will charge a dollar for bread all across the country. And they had famine the bread lines. It just doesn't work. It's a, it's a delicate balance between supply and demand. So really I'm a fan of uh, looking for free market solutions as much as possible. Um, so that's kind of that, when I think about decentralization or centralization, um, there's just a lot of inherent problems with, with centralizing power or, or decision-making. Um, and then the other thing I think about when you hear decentralized is, of course, Bitcoin. It's actually distributed, which is a slightly different structure from decentralized. decentralized. Right. Right. But the idea is in Bitcoin that <clears throat> you really only need something to be de decentralized in, in terms of a technology if you need it to be able to resist a, a nation state attack. And this is part of the reason why I think um, all other cryptocurrencies will fail is that 
they're not sufficiently decentralized. And when you have a protocol that is decentralized, it's inherently less efficient. So, okay. So, I'll, I'll, I'm yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll, there for a second. I'll keep going. I, 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 I thought you were a lot of different places, but so, so the most efficient way to you know process transactions is through a centralized database like Visa or PayPal, and they can control everything. The economies of scale, they can provide, make transactions faster and uh, more efficient. Aside from the fact that that's a third layer on top of the U.S. dollar, which I'll digress from, but the reason Bitcoin is decentralized is that. It, you want to ensure that no central party, whether it be a government or one person like Elon Musk or uh, anybody that wanted to try to co-opt or take over the network, couldn't be able to do that. But the cost, the trade-off is that it's less efficient. So that's why now you see Bitcoin building second layers for transactional purposes, the Lightning Network. Right. So I just wanted to keep it a little bit more simple than that. So everybody who has money in a bank, right, they, they literally think that that's their money and they can go and get it. And what they're not aware of is, is that the bank doesn't even have their money. If you put $100,000 in that bank, the bank is only required to have $10,000 of your money because they loaned the other $90,000 out to somebody out, right? And they got 5% interest on that money. But they're only paying you 0.0001% for a year or some practically free, right? right. And, but people think that that's their money. And what they don't realize is that's very centralized because the bank, for at any time, could say you can't have your money because you violated our rules or the government, the treasury department or the justice department can seize that. They could say this person does not have uh, access to this account or the, the just, uh, uh, somebody could sue you, right? A lien, uh, a judgment, your money can be taken. Right? right. And so this is a very important thing that people aren't familiar. And so when Bitcoin comes around or any cryptocurrency comes around, when people ask me, Hey, tell me, I want to get into Bitcoin. What do I do? I say, open up a Coinbase account. And I, I do not endorse Coinbase. There's a, there, are, there are a lot of concerns I have with just the whole ideology and the, uh, the, the lack of privacy and disclosure. And I understand Brian Armstrong's in a hard way, right? Because you, know, you get too big, then the government fights you, so you gotta, you got to do that thing. But same thing, the government, it, just like a bank, you, if you have Bitcoin on uh, uh, an exchange, and, and Cam mentioned, he mentioned uh, Binance, he mentioned Bitfinex, they're foreign exchanges. I don't advise my listeners go there. All right, there's also Kraken, there's also Gemini, and there's also Coinbase. The, those, those are the, the, like the big five popularity. And, and the last three, the ones that are in the United States are the safest. So go to Coinbase. So I have a lot of people who say, yay, I've got, I've got Bitcoin, so my stuff's secure. I said, not so fast. Right. And then I have to explain the next thing to them is you've got to get your you've got to self custody your 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 crypto, your Bitcoin. What's that? I said, well, then I say, order a trezor. OK. And then once you order it, call me. <laughs> right. And, and then and then I, wa I walk it, walk them through it. I, I, I always walk them through it in person. I never I'm never going to do it over the phone because, hey, I pushed the wrong button. I've lost a million dollars in Bitcoin. I just, like, I wouldn't sleep at night, right? But, but what ended up happening is, is, so for you people in the audience who are just learning about crypto right now, <clears throat> a, a hardware wallet is something where you possess the keys to your Bitcoin on your ledger, right? And there's a saying, listen to this and abscribe and subscribe. Not your keys, not your coins. So just like not your money in the bank, not your Bitcoin on Coinbase, I, they, mm -hmm. they, they owe it to you, 
right? But it's it's and if you if you want to draw it out, most likely you can do it. But for, if for any reason they decide they don't want to give it to you or they get hacked or any of that stuff, that's that's just tough. Right. However, if you actually have a hardware wallet and there are many, I'm not endorsing one specifically, but I, I know I know Trezor and I trust Trezor, Trezor wallet. You're able to actually move your Bitcoin into the part of the blockchain where you control the keys. Now, the good idea about that is, is that if nobody can actually take it from you, but if your treasure gets damaged or if your treasure gets lost, you have to use a backup phrase, right? And, and the problem with that is, is that if somebody else finds your backup phrase or you lose your backup phrase, then you've lost your coins forever. So what is one to do? So what is one to do? So as simple as I made that, and so this is actually uh, how I met Cam, right? And so Cam, I'll let you take the story from there and hopefully you won't go like PhD, big brain knowledge the way you've been doing it. You will speak to my listeners and not to the people like Will and Parker that sit around with you. Sure. <laughs> so we, we help you to do what you said, take control of your keys uh, in a more secure way, but in a way that protects you from yourself too. Because and when you say we, that's that, what's the name of the we company you refer to? So Unchained Capital. Okay. So we provide, we provide what's called multi-signature custody. So the easy way to think about this is similar to a safety deposit box where you want to store something safely. You bring it to, you put it in the safety deposit box. You as the customer of that bank have a key. The bank has a key as well. So two keys are required to be able to open that box. Uh, so similarly, what we help our clients to do is to set up a really secure way to hold Bitcoin with multiple keys associated. We help you to create backups of those keys. We uh, make it, you as the client are in complete control. You have the majority of those keys and we, we help you to set up a, a solution so that you can make mistakes and not lose Bitcoin. Because I think that's people's primary concern, right? Is if you're going to take Bitcoin off the exchange, how do I do it? What's the best way? Hot wallets, cold, you know, cold charge, what are all these terms mean? You want a solution where you can make mistakes and not lose access to your Bitcoin. So that's what, what we help clients to do. So, so a large amount of Bitcoin for the long term. So let me explain it in a way uh, that uh, it's even more simpler. And, and let me just tell you, this is one of the first uh, conversations I had with Cam. Uh, I wanted to learn about multi-signature and being able to do that. So he told me about a company that there were uh, uh, a, a couple of guys uh, that actually owned the firm and they wanted to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet as an asset, right? Just like you'd hold real estate or cash or stock. And so how does a corporation hold Bitcoin, right? Does, what happens? Do you give it to the treasurer? And what happens if he drops dead or, or, or decides he's going to abscond? How do you prevent that? So what happens? So these wallets or the, these, these private keys that I describe, a treasure wallet, what, what Cam's company, Unchained Capital, will do is they will set up multi-signature, or we call it multi-sig. And that means that you, everybody, uh, the, the stakeholders all get... Uh, a key. It's, it's a separate key. And there's an agreed, there has to be an agreed amount of certain keys applied in order to spend or move the Bitcoin, right? So in the case of, of, of this of this company he was talking about, there were two, two stakeholders, right? Two partners, right? And partner A got a key and partner B got a key. And then Unchained Capital has 
has a key. So there's key A, B, and C. So the two partners, if they decide they want to spend, they just they just log on. They spend the, their money with their where they use key one and key two. I, I'm confused. Key A and key B. But if the one loses theirs, or one of the partners goes in a coma or something like that, then the other partner can call Unchained Capital. And Unchained Capital can't spend without one of the other partners. So that's that's the best of both worlds. That's multi-signature. You're off the exchange. You're self-custodied. And, and also, here's the best part about it, when I think about it. There's something that's called the $5 wrench attack, right? And you want to talk about the $5 wrench attack, Cam, or should I? Go for it. No, David, you talk about the $5 wrench attack. <laughs> so the $5 wrench attack is, I think the wrench that I would need to rob you sufficiently of your Bitcoin would be $5. But Cam, you're kind of a big guy, so I'd get a bigger wrench. So I'd probably go with the $12 wrench, right? Because I'm going to come with a big wrench. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to hit you upside your head as hard as I can and draw blood. And you'll say, okay, so we can have more of this, or you can give me your Bitcoin, right? Now, if you literally cannot give your Bitcoin, even if they kill you, at least your Bitcoin saved for your heirs. So that's a wrench attack. And and you and Unchained Capital, you guys have brilliantly come up with a concept that prevents this. It doesn't prevent the beating, but it does prevent the end result. Talk about it. Right. So you've got multiple keys. You as the client have two keys. Unchained Capital has one as the backup. So you're always in complete control with your two keys. You geographically separate those keys. So best practice would be you have one key in a safe in your home and then another key in a second location. So maybe it's in a safety deposit box in your city or it's at a, a cabin in a safe or you know, wherever it might be, but you can distribute these keys. That way in that $5 wrench attack scenario, someone comes to the door and says, give me your Bitcoin and say, look, I don't have it. You're going to have to drive me to the bank during business hours or we're going to have to drive to another state. Um, it, it really gives you that out to honestly say, I can't give you the Bitcoin. And this is what you want for something where you're storing what, what we think of as multi-generational wealth. You know, this isn't a, a vault that you're tapping into on a somewhat regular basis and um, send a little bit of Bitcoin to your friend or your brother or something like that. This is, you know, think of like a secure Fort Knox vault that um, you're storing for generations. Um, and that's a cool thing too, David, you're talking about the move from Coinbase to a Trezor. The, the power of encryption here is something that Hold I think on a second. The, the, the move from an exchange, right, that holds your keys to a private key yeah. wallet, right? Private Coinbase, wallet. the exchange, Trezor, the private wallet. There's a lot of people listening, and uh, I just want to sure. make sure. Yeah, so go on, Cam. Thank you. Yep. The, the power that encryption gives the individual now is enormous. The, the, by holding a Trezor, you have military-grade security in your hand at at the cost of $50. This is the, literally the same security that, that an exchange like Coinbase is using behind the scenes. They're using devices to manage private keys to sign Bitcoin transactions. Uh, if people want to dive into this concept further, there's a book written called The Sovereign Individual, which talks about the invention of encryption itself flips the dynamics of violence, the logic of violence for the world and how that will completely change the world. That's a topic for a different day. But I think that's a key thing to key in on is that you can buy devices at low cost today, take Bitcoin into your own control and have an institutional or military grade level of security for yourself. Yeah. And for those listeners who really want who are intrigued by what uh, Cam is saying and you want to go down further the rabbit hole, you know, as, as it relates to the sovereign individual, you should Google anything that Jeff Booth has to say. 
I mean, it, Jeff Booth is incredible. The way this guy speaks and how he breaks things down on society, he really, really brings it front and center. And it's uh, and this is uh, yeah. So Jeff Booth, B O O T H E. Right, and I mean, I could give you guys more, but if you just listen to Jeff Booth, he he would. Ex he, it's not so much about Bitcoin; it's about that Bitcoin was the necessity of all invention. Right? Is invention is comes from necessity, right? And necessity is the mother of all invention. But he just breaks it down. But the reason I I am just so certain here, it, this is going to sound strange. And I don't think I've said this. Uh, on my podcast, but the reason I believe that Bitcoin is going to win, and I'm not saying that other cryptocurrencies are going to lose or win, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm always speaking for my belief in Bitcoin, is because these smartest people that I know, okay, and they're not the politicians, these smartest people I know, the people that make me go, wow, I hadn't thought about that, they're, I, and I'm just going to throw out some names, Michael Saylor, Preston Fish, Jimmy Song, all right, Saifedean. Right. There are just and if I'm leaving you out, I'm sorry. Just uh, talk to your priest. I didn't mean to give you a resentment. Right. <laughs> or, or, or Parker Lewis. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, Parker Lewis was well, you know, I, I've, I've talked about, you know, your colleague or maybe your boss, Parker Lewis. He literally when I saw him at BitBlock Boom and he said, if you're learning about a, a, a currency collapse on your television, it is too late. Right. And when he said that to me, I said, oh, my God, I've not been thinking about this correctly. Right. But the smartest people that I know, Ral Paul, right, they're talking about how Bitcoin is going to win. Right. And it's been around for 13 years, 12 years or whatever we are at now, and it's never been hacked. Right. And yes, it is clunky. Right. And it needs other layers on top of it. Right. But then again, so is like paying in cash. Cash is very clunky, too. That's why we have other layers like PayPal or Visa. Right. Or Venmo or whatever it is that you have to understand what Bitcoin is. Then people say, well, it's too slow. It's never going to work. It's same thing about paying for like chili at a cook off. Right. Same kind of concept. Right. But they, they say, hey, you can just send it to me with your phone. But anyhow, this has been a great, great talk. Cam, is there anything else you want to shout out? Well, why don't you give a shout out about Unchained Capital? Let's let's talk about if people want if people actually have Bitcoin and they actually want to get it uh, secured offsite and they can get to you. How do they reach you and and all that stuff? Sure. So Unchained.com is the website. Unchained Capital again is uh, the company I work for. We so we started in 2016 providing loans. What at a high level what we do is help our clients to secure Bitcoin in multi-signature vaults. And then we also provide financial services. So whether you're an individual, you're looking to roll over a retirement account into Bitcoin, you've got a small business or family office that's looking to hold Bitcoin in your balance sheet, you know, we can help in all those contexts of your life. So feel free to uh, check out the website. My email is cam at unchained.com. And we have a concierge team that can help you. If you know nothing about Bitcoin or you know a little bit, you know, don't worry, we can help you no matter where you are in your journey, help to educate, teach you about private keys, teach you about custody and, uh, you know, guide you through the whole process. Yeah. And another thing as far as DeFi or decentralized finance is coming, uh, Unchained Capital actually has, if you have Bitcoin and you don't want to sell it, but you can use that as far as a loan, you can put it up as cap, uh, collateral and then Unchained Capital will give you the, the dirty fiat. 
right? Absolutely. Or whatever. You know, I, I mean, we need dirty fiat to get by. I mean, you know, the hotel we're staying at here in Vegas, they take only the dirty fiat or some layer like a Visa or an American Express, right? So you, we do need the dirty fiat. So if you need the dirty fiat in a big amount, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, Cam, you could talk about why your firm is doing things different than other firms that are doing that thing. Can you talk about that for a second? Absolutely. So we have a security first and very conservative approach to Bitcoin. You know, we again, because we view it as multi-generational wealth and the money that the world is going to use for the next thousand plus years, we want to make sure that our clients hold on to it, build a position, secure it, get utility from it, but but make sure that we don't lose it at any step of the process. So you, if you want to take out a US dollar loan, we will create a separate multi-signature vault where you as the client still get to hold one of those three keys. Unchained Capital holds the second key, and then we have a third party, Citadel SPV, a firm in New York, holding the third key. You would send Bitcoin into that multi-signature vault where the collateral is kept throughout the duration of the loan. So the loan could be three years, three months to three years. It's not going to be rehypothecated out of that address. No, stop, stop, stop. That's a big. That's a big word, Professor. Yeah, I, I was getting ready. To oh, well, that. you never know with you because you're that smarter than everybody. Uh, I like to think so. You know, um, so, <laughs> so we, so we, so what the legacy system does, and what even most of the other uh, Bitcoin lenders do, is take your collateral and continue to lend that out to other parties. They make money off that, um, and that's part of how they're able to, you know, provide the, the loan interest rates that they do. So we don't do that. We keep your Bitcoin in an address in a multi-signature vault that's secure and that you can always monitor. And we also don't commingle your Bitcoin with other clients' Bitcoin collateral either. So you're not exposed to any risk that they may be taking. So in our opinion, this is the most secure, uh, lowest risk way, most transparent way to take out a loan against your Bitcoin. Cameron Strong, Unchained Capital. You know it. Dog trainer extraordinaire. <clears throat> I will landscape your pool. I'll do everything. And, you know, jack of all trades. And, and man of so many talents, not to mention <laughs> the fact that he uh, paid for books in college by being a, a model, right? Yeah, humility is definitely up there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they couldn't afford me after a while. So anyhow, Dave Hampton, Robo Recruiter, anything you want to say, Cam? Uh, no, I uh, appreciate what you guys are doing, man. Well, thank you both. Really appreciate the time today. Great to talk to you. So, uh, Travis, engineer, thank you for uh, keeping it so pimp. You're welcome. Yeah. And uh, so, Cam, thank you. Dave Hampton, thank you so much. I'm David James, the job whisperer. And remember, get whispered. <laughs>